Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Reagan. My name is Victor. And welcome to Sanctified-ish, conversations with pastors who have not figured it out. So right before we hit record, you were telling me about something you saw on TikTok about Asbury Theological Seminary and their like extended worship session. I was scrolling on TikTok. I saw something. I continued scrolling. I think I may have hit not interested because I'm trying to get off Christian TikTok. And yeah. <laughs> it's just all it's over just the place. But, but I think it was really cool what you were telling me. So I figure that's how we could start today. What's happening at Asbury? It's such a great setup. Wow, you you must do this for a living. Um, yeah, honestly, I it's, it's been really cool. I don't know a ton about it, honestly, but apparently there's a school called Asbury, I think out in like Kentucky or something like that. And they've been having what they've been calling revival for the last like week or so. And mm. it's been really cool. Like all these people have been like driving from different places and flying in just to experience kind of the move of God that's happening there. And I guess one day they were having chapel and they just felt the spirits prompting to continue to go on and continue doing it. And they've been doing it basically nonstop for the last week or so. Like classes got canceled and everything. Hmm. And it's been it's been really, really, really fascinating. It's been really awesome to see. Like I think there's like this desire and this hunger for God and for truth in the next generation that I think is just really, really admirable. And it's been spilling over into other different campuses. Uh like I think Samford um is experiencing something similar. And so yeah, man, it's it's been really cool to see. I think there's also been a heartbreaking part of it that like the people of God look at this and there's like split. There's like division over a move of God because they're like, is it revival? Is it not revival? Yeah. And and my my disposition is like, that's dumb. That's a very that's that's a that's not the question for right now. Yeah. Um. Like, let's celebrate that it's a move of God and let's rejoice in what God is doing, what He wants to do amongst His people. Yeah. Um, it's not, yeah. People like to play with semantics, and sometimes that's good. And I think there's a place for definition and truth and a lot of that stuff. But when we let the semantics kind of take the place of allowing us to just be in awe of Jesus, like we've totally missed it. And so, yeah, yeah I just think it like that is so cool that A, that's happening at that campus and that it's spilling over into other campuses. It's like, man, like let's be in awe of what the Lord is doing. And here's the, I mean, here's the really cool thing. It's like, we get to worship Jesus and it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit to like for these people to continue worshiping the spirit. That's super cool. That's something we yeah. should be, I mean, in awe of God for. And so, so yeah, I mean, shame to those people who are nitpicking with words. We can do that later. Like who knows if this yeah. is a revival, this could spark, you know, a change that happens over the course of the next five years in yeah. Christian seminary culture. We just don't know yet. So well, let's and, not cap God to what he yeah. can or can't accomplish on seminary campuses. And I think you were even saying before we even got on here, like revivals or things like the Great Awakening, like th things like this that is like over a period of time, like God did this. And not to say this can't even happen to that. It can't happen on shorter scales. Yeah. But I'm like, we're, like you just said, we're so focused on the semantics that we miss the heart of just like God wants to do something amongst his people and his people want him to move and want him to work and want his glory and want his honor. And like when those two things coincide, God always wants to move amongst his people. His people just don't always want him to move yeah. and work. And when those two things collide, that's when revival happens. And so like, I think it is cool to see like this next generation of Christians and churchgoers wants nothing to do with consumeristic cultural Christianity of the past. And I'm 
all here for it, dude. I'm every, every single ounce of it. Like, I love what the next generation is going for, like in pursuit of truth and what it means to follow Jesus. And like, there, there's a spirit of, I'm going to give my life to him no matter what the cost. And like, I really do believe the Lord uses that. So it'll be cool to see. Yeah. I think, when we look at Gen Z, especially, there is such an intense desire for truth and community. Now, truth across Gen Z, that has taken a very subjective route. And we know with, you know, Scripture and the Bible and the gospel, it's like there is the truth and that's Jesus. But the fact that this next generation so desperately wants to see truth is such an incredible thing because it opens the door for Christians to be able to enter into these people's lives and share yeah. the truth. And yeah. so I think we're seeing a shift in Christian culture to where Gen yeah. Z is really desiring truth and community. And man, if the church can meet them where they're at, we are setting ourselves up for a generation yep. that is on fire for Jesus. Dude, so I'm really excited to see this what is, these This is so fascinating. Cause like, like, so this is probably like a whole nother episode in and of itself. But we've had this conversation with our students before and like it's really hard to invite the next generation to a church building like yeah. if our church is having an event hey our youth group is having whatever nine times out of ten a high school kid that doesn't know that doesn't know jesus didn't grow up in the church is not coming to that event doesn't mean we don't do it it just means it's hard but yeah. what that kid is is most gen z students are very spiritual but they're not religious Meaning, yeah. like you just said, they're open to conversations about the truth. They are truth seekers. And so what this means is like what we view as evangelism should honestly shift from, hey, come to our event because we have free pizza to equipping our students, equipping our people to go out, share the gospel, share the truth with people. And the, the, the world, I think, is more open to those conversations about what truth is now than ever before. And so, like, I really do think there's going to be, like, you and I have talked about this before, there's going to be this this polarizing, stark yeah. difference where it's like, I do think when you say there is a truth, some people will be gravitated towards that, some people will be repelled. And so the gap between the church and the world is going to grow. But those who follow Jesus are going to know the cost. And I'm really, really, really excited to see what the Lord does with, like, a refined body and a refined yeah. people. It's fascinating because now that I am starting to think about this, it seems like Gen Z is less concerned about the intellectual and yeah. more concerned about the experiential. And that might sound, might bad, sound bad, but it's not but necessarily it's not... a bad thing, right? Because no. if you're more concerned with the intellectual and not the exper experiential, you can get into a whole host of pros and cons with that as well. Yeah. So there's well, pros and cons to where Gen Z is at. But it's like yeah. if we're trying to meet Gen Z, meeting them with the intellectual actually will only get us so far. And so yeah. it's like, how do we get them into the body to experience the power of the spirit? I think that's kind of what we see here at Asbury. Yeah. It's like, man, like the Lord sparked these students to experience the spirit in worship. And that yeah. is a beautiful thing that we should not gloss over with petty semantic well, arguments. And I'm a, I'm gonna get on my soapbox here for a second, so indulge me. Do like, it. do it. The 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 worshiper inside of me is like the Lord has given us emotions, and those are not a bad thing. And we can swing so far either into emotionalism, or we can swing so far into anti-emotion, saying anything emotional is bad. And yeah. that's just simply not the case because you can look at things like Asbury 
And yes, it's emotional. And yes, people are weeping, but like, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> like yeah. the Lord has given you joy. He's given you like tears. He's given you a full range of emotions to experience him and praise him and glorify him. So let's not throw our emotions. Like let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like th those are good gifts from God. And I think with, like you just said, when you look at Gen Z, contextualizing the way we share the gospel is so important because I believe it's Rene Descartes where he said, I think therefore I am. And this was like the age of reason. Yeah. You're in an age of emotion where it says, I feel therefore it's true. Yeah. And that is this next generation. And so when we're talking, but here's the thing, God created emotions. That's not separate yep. from the gospel. So yep. when we say like, it's not unheard of, it's not out of the realm of possibility for God to draw people to himself through emotion found in his word and the spirit, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Yep. And so Gen Z is not too far away from God. Yeah. And I just, and I, I hear just, in the back of my head, you know, critics saying, well, emotionalism can be created or manufactured. And while I agree that that's true, so can intellectualism. Like that is that is the that is the same thing. I I, I mean I'm not trying to get we're totally off track here, but I'm not. It's fine. I just it's think fine. like the intellectual. It's like well, if you can just rhetoric your way out of a conversation and over you know emphasize certain things or use you know debate tactics to get your way in a conversation, yeah. that's abusing intellectualism. Just like you know people will critique churches and worship bands for overemphasizing emotionalism. And so there is a place for both intellectualism and emotionalism. And it's like, how do we contextualize it to reach this next generation without throwing the other one out, right? Because we yeah. say, hey, we need to meet Gen Z where they're at. It doesn't mean there's no place for intellectualism. Like, no, we have yeah. to meet them with the truth of the gospel. What the gospel says has to be true. But that if that is our emphasis, then we're yeah. setting ourselves up probably for failure in these conversations. Well, if I could tag this with an illustration that I think kind of shifts us into our conversation for today. I think we were talking intellectualism or emotionalism. Both people in those camps are looking at one piece of the pie and saying this one piece is the whole pie. Yeah. And when you're talking about the range of God and the breadth of God, thank God we don't just know him intellectually. Thank God we don't just know him emotionally or experientially or like generally or especially through his word. Like however, like thank God we can't just know him one way. Thank God we can know him and experience him and, and grow in love for him through all of these different things. And so yeah. um, he's worthy of worship in so many different ways and so many facets. And I think this kind of leads us pretty beautifully into uh, the conversation that we're going to talk about tonight, I had a student come up to me um, a couple of months ago and basically say this. He's like, hey, I've been thinking, isn't it kind of narcissistic for God to demand worship from us? Like, okay. if, 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 if he created me just to worship him, isn't that kind of prideful? Isn't that kind of vain? Isn't that kind of narcissistic? And I thought that was one of the best questions <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. Man, um, <laughs> praise God students so, are asking hard questions. I love it. But that's okay. Again, circle it full circle. That's yep. Gen Z, dude. Yep. That's Gen Z. They don't want to just go to church because they go to church. They want to know why did God create me to worship him? And that's so beautiful, dude. And yep. the flip side of that is God has an answer for that. 
And the reason he created us to worship him just reveals more about who he is and his yeah. honor and glory. And so that's what we get to dive in and unpack tonight. Um, is God a narcissist? Um, I feel like we need I to start like need to with start unpacking with... the definition of a narcissist um, so that we are on the same playing field in terms of semantics because semantics are important like we've learned over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> so narcissism, here is how Google, how Google defines define. narcissism. Personality qualities yeah. include thinking very highly of oneself in need of constant admiration believing others are inferior and and this is arguably the most important one a narcissist lacks empathy for others so that's so the that's, definition yeah. that we're working with after hearing that definition generally would you say that god is a narcissist so this is so so amazing i would say every single one of those except for the last one i would say describes god um, like, is, is he above, does he think much of himself? Yes. Um, does he think himself above every other name? Yes. Yes, he yeah. does. And he's worthy of all those things and 10 times more. The only one that I would disagree with is empathy. Yeah. Because God has more empathy and sympathy for human beings than anyone else in the entire world. That's the beauty of the incarnate incarnation, Jesus, fully God and fully man. He knows what it's like to be alone, to suffer, to be abandoned, to, to laugh, to cry. Like we even talked about it, like before we got on here, like Jesus probably farted, like he experienced like the full, <laughs> yeah. the fullness yeah. of humanity. He, he who should not have to empathize, empathize with every single part of our humanity because he loved us. And that's the beautiful thing about God is that he is so infinite beyond any part of comprehension yet he made himself intimate with us and acquainted yeah. with all of our ways. Like he is our man of sorrows. And that is the beautiful thing about the cross and the incarnation. But I would actually, like you and I talked about this before we got on here. I would actually say that most of those things describe who God is, but he's not a narcissist. Yeah. Because all of those things are true of him. And what defines a narcissist is somebody who, the, the things that describe God, they ascribe to themselves. Yeah. So another human thinking they're above another human, another human thinking they, they are prideful in and of themselves. Like for God to think those things, those things are actually true of him, right. which is fascinating. Yeah, so that, and I love that. I would, so the the one thing, I would agree with everything you said. Um, The one piece of this definition that I also don't know if it describes God, I, I'm actually curious to get your thoughts about this, is the needing constant affirmation. Um, because within sure. the Trinity, God receives everything in his perfect community with himself, in and yeah. of himself, right? And so, like, like personally, personally, man, like, man, I, I don't know if God necessarily needs our affirmation for him to still be God. Yeah. But because of what he's accomplished for us, like, we get to partake in that, like, worship of him. So, yeah, yeah. I totally agree, especially the empathy. It's yeah. like the one who should not should have not to have empathize to with us did yeah. because he loved us so much. And a narcissist defines someone who believes there's something they're not. Yeah. So a narcissist is someone, someone who is convinced that they are, for lack of a better word, God. But the thing is, the is, thing is, is for God, for, he's not a narcissist. 
because he believes this of himself and it's actually true. Like, yeah. like he is the holy God, sovereign, eternal savior of the universe. And because those things are true, he is allowed to think of himself in that way. In fact, if he didn't think yeah. of himself in that way, he would in fact not be God. Yeah. And that's a big piece of, of understanding the deity of who God is. God is a loving savior who has given us his grace and peace, and that is awesome that we get to experience it. But when we take that yeah. and we lose the sovereign, righteous, holy nature of God, demanding that He be set apart from every every eternal uh, from everything ever, it's like man, like we actually lose essence of who God is. And so we have to yeah. take both of these things in tandem for us to to even begin to grasp the nature of God. <laughs> This is probably another rabbit trail that I think would be really interesting before we get <laughs> down do to the worship part. But I think, so you're a hundred percent right there. Like God doesn't need anything. Yeah. He is sufficient in and of himself. So like, yeah, he doesn't need affirmation. So if he doesn't need affirmation, why did he create us? Yeah. Like, why did he create us with the command to worship him? Um, yeah. And like, like that, that's the thing. Like it's not worship is a response, but it's also a call. Yep. And so we worship and respond to what we see, but it's also a, a command, like sing to him, O ye people, like clap your hands, shout to him, ascribe him glory. Like these are commands in the Bible, same as love your neighbor. And yep. I think that's fascinating. Like if he doesn't need this, why did he command it? So I'll oh, be fascinated. Good. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's for our good. Like uh, the fact that God has come on. commanded us to Come worship on. him is solely for our good. Like Come he doesn't on. need us. He doesn't need my affirmation. He doesn't need me to say that God is holy. He yes, is sir. regardless of the finite words that I speak. But yes, it's sir. like God calls me into worship because it does me good. And like the command for us to worship is is actually a grace that yeah. God has given his people. Like he has made us so access he has made himself so accessible to us that we yeah. get to worship him. And that's where like that's this like... this empathetic God comes into play. And I even, I mean, our friend group has kind of been reading through the Bible in a year and we've we've basically been stuck in like the first three books <laughs> of the Bible. So it's been great, but we're in Leviticus right now. Super, super depressing. And as much as Leviticus, as much as people like, you know, dog on Leviticus and how boring it can be, the one thing that Leviticus has really opened my eyes to is how holy and righteous and set apart God yeah. is. Like the yeah. the instructions that God gives for the construction of the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. For the way that the robes for priests are to be built and worn. For like the yeah. process in which priests have to approach into like the holy tent. Like there are things that God has specifically required of his people in order to enter into his presence because he is holy. And yeah. like when we look at it, the reason that it is that way is ultimately for our good. And like Romans 8:28 sums it up perfectly. All yeah. things work together for the good of those who are in him. And it's yeah. like, man, if we are in God because of his love for us, all things work together for the good of those who believe in him. Yeah. And that's why we get to worship. Yeah. I, I want to go back to what you said earlier in the beginning of just like, it's good for us. 
to sing the praises of God. It it blesses his ears, but it doesn't yeah. raise God's standing at yep. all. That's good. And the reason or the reason it blesses his ears, it doesn't boost his ego, but it blesses his ears because it blesses his children. And he is yeah. blessed by the, the increase of his children. And like, th- this is so, 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 so fascinating to me because like, that's why God designed corporate worship. Uh, like here's, here's another soapbox. Love it. Like when we, when we come in on Sunday morning and we are singing like in Christ alone, my hope is found. Like, and we're, we are singing that not, not to a person on a stage, but we're either singing that to our heart when we just, where we're walking in, like you and I have talked about this, like it's tough coming from middle school in the morning. Like we're, we're working. It's hard to make that shift. Maybe you're walking in kids were off of this morning. You don't want to be there. You need to remind yourself about what's good for you, about yeah. what's best, who God is. But the beautiful thing about that is it's not individual. You have a neighbor next to you who needs to hear the same thing. And you may be on fire for the Lord that morning, believing every truth. Like when we sing goodness of God, like all my life, you have been faithful. You may be believing that right now, but the person next to you may be going through a divorce and they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And when you sing that over them, that points them back to the North Star that is the goodness and glory and worship of God. And that's why it is our good for us to sing his praises. And it doesn't, God is sufficient. He doesn't need it, but I do. Yeah. I need that. I need that desperately. And that is why we get to sing praises to him. Um, and now I'm fired up. Um, <laughs> but it's but like it, our pastor will often say this. He'll, he'll have us all pray, but he'll call us, he'll call for us to pray out loud. Right. He'll, yeah. he'll say, Hey, let's not just keep our prayers to ourselves. Like let's let the person next to us hear our cries out to the Lord. Because when we enter into that together, man, we get to bless one another communally. And so I, I would 100% agree that communal yeah. worship in any capacity, whether it's the way that we live our life, serving one another prayer singing before church, even like listening to a sermon together and having our notes out and our Bibles out and and really paying attention, like those things bless the body. And it's only because of God's yeah. grace that we actually get to enter into that and because it's for our good. And it's yeah. like, who are, like, who are we to have a God who would consider our good? Like yeah. after all that we've done to turn away from him, to sin against him, like we do not yeah. deserve a God who would do things for our good. Yeah. So here's here's how I want to flip this. Um, if somebody asked me, is it narcissistic for God to demand us to worship? I would say no. And this is the analogy that I would use. The Bible says that all glory, all honor, all power already belong to him. The glory is his. It is not narcissistic for him to demand something that already belongs to me. Like if you come over to my house and you steal a hoodie from me, and I tell you, give it back. That's not narcissistic. That is me claiming what I already own that you took from That's me. That's good. Yeah. And so any any glory that we seek for ourselves or any glory that we give to each, anyone else, which the Bible calls idolatry, which is another thing that we just read, like the golden calf, like that is giving glory to something that is not worthy of it. God says, give that back to me. That's why we think it's harsh when Moses comes down from the mountain and he destroys that calf and he kills half the people. It's like, that's stealing. Yeah, You stole from God what was rightfully his. I think that's easy for us to comprehend. I do. The hard part, I think, for us to wrestle with is, yes, all glory and honor and power belong to him. 
but I think it's really easy for someone to sit there and say, is he really worthy of that? Like I know it yeah. belongs to him, but I'm looking at the world and the world is a dumpster fire right now. Like I know we're singing these songs all my life. He's been faithful, but he hasn't been faithful to me. He hasn't answered my prayers. There's injustice in the world. Like there's death every single day. Why is a God worthy of that? Yeah. And if all glory and honor power really does belong to him, why hasn't he done anything about it? And so I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to let you answer that. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's the classic problem of evil, yeah. right? I mean, that that is the thing that truthfully gets so many people from believing in God. And I mean, this is something that I wrestled with all throughout high school. And there's a couple things that we have to take in con- into consideration when when answering this question or when responding to the problem of evil. The problem of evil is is a consequence of the fact that we have free will. Because we have free will to choose either to obey God's command or to sin against him is is why evil exists. It's the Genesis 3, the fall, right? Adam and Eve chose, chose to sin to against sin God against rather God. than obey him. And God created us in such a way, such a way. Because, because for those for... who choose to love and worship God, it stems out of a genuine desire to know him. So I yeah. use this example with students all the time. I say, I say you wake up wake on up Mother's up. Day and you get up, dinner's ni- or breakfast is nicely prepared there on the counter yeah, for you. Counter There's a card that says Happy Mother's Day. And, and it's already signed from both of, of, of her kids, of her and kids, it's all and prepped, it all and all the kids have to do is take the, the breakfast the into the room to give to their mom for breakfast in bed. Come to find out what find the mom what did the mom is she actually did. woke she up at 4 a.m., prepared, prepared everything, everything, everything herself, herself, wrote herself a nice card, card got everything got ready, everything went back ready, to bed. bed. And so the kids, all they had to do was bring it into the room. Now, what that communicates is is absolutely no love. Like, the kids put no time, no effort, no, nothing went into yeah. the kids communicating that they love their mom into that. But let's say the let's kids say the on kids Mother's on Day wake up at 4 a.m., they they handcraft a gift that's, that's you know, paper mache. Paper. They spend a lot of time on it. They write a really nice yeah. card to their mom. They cook breakfast. They cook something that they've never cooked before. They had to look up the recipe online. They put it all together, and then they go into their mom's bedroom on Mother's Day morning to give their mom breakfast in bed. What that communicates to mom is that she has kids that genuinely love her, and they chose to wake up, to inconvenience themselves, to sacrifice a little bit of time, so that they could bless their mom. And very similarly, with the way that God created the world, he created it in such a way that because we have the opportunity to love God, for that love to be genuine, that means that there has to be an opportunity for us to not love God. And that's why evil exists. And so it's tough. It's hard. We'll have questions. We always will have questions. The most... The wisest scholarly theologians that are 500, 500 years, years old that have that. written tons of books will still have questions when they die. But the thing is that we have to know and trust is that ultimately for those who believe in God, things will work together for the good of those who believe in him. And we've seen um, that time and time again in scripture. And so tough question, but evil um, has to exist for good to exist. I'm going to process this out loud and we'll see how, how heretical this gets. So walk, <laughs> walk with me. Um, 
the, the phrase that came into my head is that God allows hard things for his glory because his glory is our ultimate good. Mm. And that right there is the reason the cross exists. Because I don't think we realize, like what you just said is like sin is real and sin has consequences. And we worship a savior who experienced, I don't know how I'm necessarily going to say this without being heretical. The consequence like, he, of sin? The consequence of sin. Yeah. He was killed and that's a consequence of sin. Yep. He was betrayed. That's a consequence of sin. He was lied to. That was a consequence of sin. Like he experienced evil and he experienced bad things, but he came here to conquer it. Yeah. Which, and his glory in that is our ultimate good. And so in this one, two things are true. One, I have seen God do not do. I have seen bad things happen to people. Awful things. Results yeah. of the fall, results of sin. God has used that and turned that to bring people to himself. Yeah. And we we ask and we wonder why a good God would let this happen, why a good God would let someone die in a car crash. But for that person to see that and to have a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. And they their soul is saved as a result. Our time frame is so limited. We don't have a concept of eternity. Like God yeah. is good for all of eternity and he's good here and now because he allows us to be here. The fact that another day happens is another day for people to come to know him. Yeah. And co come to believe in him. Like he, he allows evil here and now because even in the presence of evil, there's the small chance that people will come to know him. And he will crack that door open as long as he can so as many people can come to know him because one day that door will shut. Yeah. And, there's been, and the people will be separated and there will be no more pain, no more suffering. God will say, I've had enough. And those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be with him forever and ultimate good. And those who said no will be apart from him forever. Yeah. And so like, why does God allow evil? Because people come to know him every single day. He is holding that door open as long as he wishes. And one day that door will close. Yeah. Is God a narcissist? I think we could both answer that question with a resounding no. The really beautiful thing about Jesus is that his nature causes us to worship him and we get to willingly worship him. And so if anything, this episode like should hopefully, I pray, lead you to worship him. Um, and so I think like diving into this question in particular is fascinating. It's interesting. I think your student Reagan asked an amazing question and I'm like, it, it encourages me to know that Gen Z is processing these things about God's character. Y'all, if you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you did, make sure to let us know. You leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. If you have questions, comments, concerns, email us, sanctifiedish at gmail.com. You can follow us on socials at ReaganJones97 and at Rotsiv157. Y'all, we will catch you in the next one. And until then, take care and God bless. <laughs>